Hey, friend. Hey, friend. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for just being God everywhere. At this present time, we're unable to reach out and touch a lot of people that we love and care about. So I thank you, Lord God, that you are everywhere. Thank you for being omnipresent, especially at this time of need. Lord, I ask you to just lead and guide this show, Lord God. I ask that you will just reign supreme over everything that will take place, Lord God. We're going to be talking about some topics that are a little rough, and we know that you are the the captain of the ship. So, Lord God, we appreciate you just giving us the words to say and for us to have listening ears and listening hearts. And I thank you in advance for an exceptional show. I thank you, Lord God, for every listener. And I pray that you will continue to bless them and keep them in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jasmine. (laughs) (laughs) I heard you got something good to tell. So I'm excited. I do. I have a few things. I have a few things. We have a theme this week. Okay, getting a little fancy. Oh. Um, since we found ourselves in the month of May, all of our good things are going to be about graduation. Hey. Commencement. I'm just going to shed a little light on you guys since you won't be actually in person at a graduation or getting the opportunity to celebrate with your loved ones this year. Um, but we want to let you guys know that we see you. Yes. We recognize you. We appreciate your effort. And we are so very, very proud of you, class of 2020. Congratulations. That's right. Congratulations. <laughs> Whether you're getting your PhD <laughs> or your baby just graduated from kindergarten, you just finished cosmetology school, yes. or you just passed the class, even if your graduation date is far in the distance. Right. right. You rocked it through this semester. Congratulations to you. That's right. That's right. So on that note, we can give a big major shout out to the lovely Barack and Michelle Obama for agreeing uh, to give commencement speeches to the class of 2020. Come on. Um, so I know coronavirus has shut down a lot of things and made them negative, but I can say I'm thankful for this. Like, I was kind of happy that I'll at least get to see them give a commencement speech because I ain't never going back to school. Girl, so I would have to have a burning bush Let me with say, I'll a girl in it. I don't care if it was free. And the squirrel has to be in a um in a yoga pose, eating <laughs> an acorn. Like all that has to be happening inside of the burning bush for me to go back to school Mm-mm. right now. <laughs> Nothing. If God said you gotta go back to school, I just be like, well, you might as well come on and get me then, because it's enough for me. Like, I'm I'm done. If if just staying say on earth come on and get me. <laughs> if staying on earth means I write, have to write another paper or look at another syllabi, I'm done. What I'm you say? I'm gonna head out. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I did well to do the masters. I was okay. like, shoot, all right, I'm good now. Okay. And Yeah, grad school really helped me confirm that this PhD life, because at first, I wanted a PhD just to be Dr. Jackson, I mean. Of period. course. Because that, so that was it. That was like, there was no other motivation. Right, I don't want to right. do that in the world. I'm not trying to share no information. Forget all of that. Just put yes. some respect on my name. Yes. Doctor. However, after writing the master's thesis, I was like, I ain't staying out. <laughs> Whatever you call me, I'm done. <laughs> Set me free. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> shackles off my feet so, okay. so I can breathe. Grass was torture. They should put a warning over that thing. Like, <laughs> when you take the GRE screen, you just pop up and be like, Paul, 
Are you do sure? You no, know, right. Do you know what you're getting yourself? Are you sure about this? Did you is think you about ready? it? It's just, just like, pray on it. Just is you God. You got to be a whole adult and go to school. Well, now that we dived off on this tangent of reminiscing, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks to a tweet to Barack Obama asking him to give a commencement speech. He and our forever first lady have stepped in and stepped up to the job. Yeah. So you can find Michelle participating in YouTube's Dear Class of 2020 special. That is going to be airing on June 6th mm -hmm. um, via YouTube. And it's also going to include celebrities like Kerry Washington, Kelly Rowland, Alicia Keys, Zendaya, um, and Chloe and Haley. So I love dope. Chloe and Haley. So dope. They also star on ABC show Grownish um, with Yara Shahidi, which is like the spinoff from Blackish. Yeah. Um, so though I'm not in college anymore, looking at them is kind of like reminiscent. Like, oh yeah, I used to be doing that. Um, <laughs> just leave it there. So that's Michelle. She's going to be doing the commencement speech for YouTube's Dear Class of 2020. And then you can find Brother Barack teaming together with LeBron James. LeBron James has kind of spearheaded this event called Graduate Together. And that is going to be held on May 16th. So by the time you're listening to this, it will have already happened, but we have the same internet. So hopefully you already knew about it. Amen. Because um, <laughs> that's history. Like that's history yeah, it is in real time. It know? is. It's Graduate Together. And then there's a Show Me Your Walk HBCU edition. Um, that's that. happening on the 16th as well now I want to see that because as a person who attended the PWI and I love my PWI okay right but I always enjoy seeing the splashes of soul yes. across the stage when yes. somebody either from the Divine Nine or just you know another brother or sister got up there and you know gave a step yeah a, a strut whatever it is just added some pizzazz to the stage yeah so I love to see what these recent graduates are going to do because just watching their TikTok videos, I'm tired. Look at him. Oh, um, they are preparing for the biggest dance battle of all time. I mean, really? Apparently. Like, this, this feels like, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm behind the scenes on like Step Up or something. Or what was that show that people said? America's Best Dance Crew? Like, yeah. are y'all just competing from like household to household or something now? Where did y'all get all this skill? I yes. don't know. I, I grew up paying Punchinella. I don't know if we had all this like choreography skills in that circle. Girl, what you say? Now I will say I shouted across the stage. I certified cut a step mm -hmm. across that stage the first time for undergrad because I went through so much to just get through undergrad mm -hmm. um, personally. So I was uber excited. Mm -hmm. And then for my master's, I did the same thing. And the people were waiting to shake my hand. I was like, y'all mm -hmm. gonna have to wait for about 15, 20 seconds. Y'all gonna have to wait. Mm -hmm. And then when I finished with my massage therapy program, mm -hmm. I did the same thing. And take this out. I was the last person. So oh, you can soak you know it how you, right. Like you're the last person. And I'm thinking, I've always wondered what that person would feel like if they felt like they were gypped or something. No, I didn't feel gypped at all. Yeah, I didn't know it like that. Whatsoever. Because <laughs> I was the very last person of the whole commencement. <laughs> well, when I graduated undergrad, let's see, I strutted across the stage because I wanted people to see my shoes. My shoes are always very important. Um, they usually always make a statement. So first of all, I can't walk too fast. I need you to bask in their glory. Amen. I need you to take it in. Okay, Amen. so you fit. I may look it's like everybody damn. else 
from my head down to my ankles, but you're going to see these shoes. Come on, um, through the Dale shoes. Let's go. When I graduated you. from grad school, bro, they could have drugged me across the stage. They just could have <laughs> threw me my degree from like a drafty window. I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was tired. My hair didn't turn out right. Um, <laughs> so my friend literally had to call me. She was calling me because we were meeting up in the parking lot. She was like, where are you at? I was like, I'm at home because I'm mad. My hair didn't turn out right. Like, you know, oh, and she was like, if you don't come on down here so we can get this degree, you have a hat on anyway. So shout out to good friends. She was definitely hey, right. Um, yeah. But we were both so tired. It was like, oh, just come on, just come on. And then UAB has bagpipes. That was surprising. Yes. Shout that out. That was surprising. To I liked later. all the confetti. They yes. at the end. I felt special. You know, I like a little razzle dazzle. Yes. Um, so that I was love our bagpipes. I ain't gonna lie. It's a it's a tradition. Caught me off guard. Now. It it's a fun. tradition. They used to play in the mini park when I was living on campus, and mm. they would practice on Sunday afternoons. And um, you could just hear it just throughout the whole campus. That would the wind would just take it, and you could just hear it. It was amazing. It was therapeutic to me. I liked it. <laughs> Somebody yeah, else may have been like, but. I definitely would have been sending an email. Attention, attention. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, speaking of commitment, our next story comes straight out of Memphis, Tennessee. Shout out to the South. Shout out um, Memphis. This dad took it upon himself to throw his daughter her own commencement. Okay. Yeah. She was graduating. Her name is Gabrielle. She graduated from Xavier University of Louisiana with a Bachelor of Public Health Science and a minor in biology. He turned his driveway into a whole graduation ceremony. There's a stage. There's decoration. Okay, we got robes, a podium. I don't know where he got it from, but he was prepared for his baby. There's a whole banner up here that says Xavier University Class of 2020 just for her. Okay, she ain't got to share no seats for nobody else. Everything is for her. Wow. Um, so his neighbor actually took a picture or video of the event and said, my next door neighbor's daughter couldn't have her graduation due to the pandemic. So he created one for her. Now that's a proud father for you. He made it happen. Yes. And I mean, he has a whole program here. There's a procession, invocation, a commencement address. I mean, he has her oh, bio yeah. down here. It says during her junior year of college, Gabrielle decided to go into another direction of medicine by deciding to go into the public health science for epidemiology. After all the trials and tribulations she went through, she completed college with 130 credit hours. So shout out to you, Sigis. We definitely lead more brown faces in the medical field. And it says that her plan is to head to the armed forces and fulfill her dream of working for the CDC. So again, we need you, sis. We need you. Don't even know if it's safe to be outside with a mask, without a mask, six feet, 12 feet. We don't know what's going on. We just out here. What was that, Negro Spiritual? (laughs) That was a little smoking smoking Norfolk from my my sore throat on the right side. All right. Yeah, we need you now. We need you now, honey. That's what's up. So then, so top off our good news we're gonna end it with mr nicholas johnson princeton university's first black valedictorian what so after 274 years the article starts out with it just to like let you know okay yes 274 years of existence and this is princeton's first black valedictorian see when people be like is this even relevant queen's gonna be like yes it is yeah yeah, because you know, they were still, like we're still doing it first. <laughs> we're still heard, doing it first. That's yeah, why. I've heard so many people, white people, 
talk about um, affirmative action and they always get so angry about it. Like I had one of my classmates in grad school, we were mm-hmm. interning at the same place and we both interviewed for a position and he ended up getting the job. I didn't, I didn't even get an interview. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that though, like after we'd applied, we were just kind of talking about how hard the job hunt was, you know, let's struggle. And then he told me one day, that I shouldn't worry about anything. Of course, I was going to find a job because I had affirmative action on my side. Oh, this my goodness. <laughs> told me. Well, he didn't. I mean, he fixed this. I was so pissed. Ooh. Like, I was so pissed. You know that moment where you think you got a white friend, but then they show you like, yes, you're not. <laughs> like, I'm just yes. a little too ignorant for you to hold me that close. Wow. And I mean, he was serious. He was serious. He really felt that way. And I've seen, I've heard from so many other people in his position that like affirmative action or the idea of it really angers them. Like they feel like it's the only reason any people of color are in college, the only reason they get any awards, the only reason they're succeeding because you took somebody else's spot. Right. And you realize that most PWIs have over like 50% white population, like minorities in these schools make up usually 20, 30 at the most percent. Yes. Period. And yeah. you wonder why, you know, we need designated spaces and as if they could stay you know because there's other things that can cause them to not be able to finish out the program so mm-hmm. just because they get there doesn't mean they always have the resources to stay there mm-hmm. you know um that golly that's so that just burn my biscuits did somebody even said that yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. as if like the whole culture has not been able to make strides without yeah. a handout or if we didn't get the same degrees go to the same school yeah. learn the same thing like oh you just definitely gonna get a job because you you know you black well actually now what sir now what? Right. you got the job i didn't even get an interview but it didn't bring me joy to know he hated it so <laughs> anyway back to mr nicholas yes um so We're according to his website mind you i was just gonna say according to his website first oh. of all let me tell you how sir has stepped his game up because i don't know what age he is what are you how old are you when you graduated from college maybe like 22 Somebody i ain't had a website yeah <laughs> i was yeah. browsing it over he can come do mine now look um, this website is serious okay but mr nicholas is pursuing a bachelor of engineering degree in operations research and financial engineering with minors in com- computer science applied mathematics and statistics and machine learning all of that sounds like things that are over my head um, because they sound like they need right factual answers. I am more of a, you know, a concept, a vision. I don't really like rules and guidelines. Why? Um, so thankfully, we have people out here out, him, out here handling things on that end. Yes. Um, and he is a native of Montreal, Canada. Mm-hmm. And he made the most of his time while at Princeton being heavily involved in lots of other extracurricular activities. Um, he was a fellow at Princeton's Writing Center a member of the Princeton chapter of Engineers Without Borders and the editor of Tortoise, a journal of writing pedagogy. So yeah, he stayed booked and busy. And if you take a browse, take a look over here at his website. It has even more information. His resume is impressive as well. I mean, I don't know who's listening out here, but you need to get Mr. Johnson on your team, okay? You do. Yes, you do. You need to catch get him, him now. Him quick. <laughs> catch him you better now. catch him while he cheats. <laughs> look. And Nicholas, if you're listening, raise your prices. They think you real talk. (laughs) Real talk, sir. You are a commodity. Mm -hmm. You are needed. You are valued. So y'all need to go ahead and get up on uh, Nicholas Johnson. He is not playing any games out here in these streets. 
at yes, all. Yes, it also says that um, he's going to graduate on May 31st virtually. Hopefully, he's going to get to listen to the Obamas, tell him how awesome he is. And he's set to attend MIT in the fall, where he's going to pursue his PhD in operations research. So, okay, he just came over here and stunned on y'all one time. He's headed to MIT to continue <laughs> the legacy, okay? If you thought he was done, he's just right. saying, hold my pencil, actually got to do other things. That's what he told him. That's what he told him. Or you thought, or you thought this degree was key, or you thought that was key? Yes. With his website. He's not to let you know what's going on. He's not playing mm -hmm. games. Boy, I can't even imagine how braggadocious my parents are now sometimes. I can just see my mama running around. My baby got a website. Yeah. I'm telling you, it, it makes all the difference. When you know that what you bring to the table, then it's not cockiness. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just walk in your confidence of mm -hmm. what you know you can do. You know, and these are um, examples of servitude throughout his resume yes. and everything as well. So it's not just the books. He's been working to impact his community, his environment at Princeton. And so hopefully he and Gabrielle can continue to touch the world. Oh, I love it. I'm so proud. Like, you would think I was his auntie cousin somewhere right now. Mm -hmm. Like, go Nicholas. You're right. That's how I was wondering. I was scrolling around here looking at all the pictures. Like, look at him. Look at him. Look at this teal. That's a nice color. I like teal. That's inviting. Mm -hmm. Good job. Good job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you gave me so much awesomeness. I'm really smiling from ear to ear right now. Well, mission accomplished, friend. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Curly Contessa, the Curly Girl's go-to guide for gifting. This Birmingham-based giftware line was founded in 2017 by the infamous Kristen Farmer. Kristen is one of my dearest friends and a phenomenal artist. Curly Contessa is the perfect brand for showing your favorite curly girl how much you love her and how much African-American beauty is respected. They have wine glasses, drink glasses, and one of my favorite things about them is that the pictures are of some of her close friends and herself. So you can see people that you know, you can see people that look just more real, you know, like not photoshopped, not super duper glammed up, but just like raw black beauty. And so if you're looking for a way to give somebody something with a little more meaning to it or to show the woman in your life that she's really valuable to you, then I highly, highly encourage you to head on over to curlycontessa.com. Now back to the show. So before we slide into our next segment, we just wanted to let you know that this is our season finale. And while we were thinking through our topics, everything else seemed really insignificant once we heard about Ahmaud Aubrey. We also agreed that it was necessary to include a male's perspective in our conversation. We dedicate this show to him and his family. All right, we are back. And I'm so excited to dive into this portion of our show because we have one of my friends here, like family. We go back like babies and pacifiers. His name is Jason Branch, everybody. And Welcome. he doesn't go by Dr. Branch. But please know, he is a doctor, okay? Uh, he is a licensed professional counselor. <laughs> right, put some respect on it. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, he is a licensed professional counselor and he is licensed in four different states and primarily working through telemental health at this time. And um, he's exceptional at what he does. And we're just appreciative that he's decided to come in to the Queendom to give us mm -hmm. a male perspective on these topics of today. So welcome, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in Queendom right now. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. It's a special place. Yes, I feel like I'm infiltrating, representing for the men today. So I appreciate yeah. you having me on. That's a big deal. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. I know this is a sacred space. You know, <laughs> I, I can smell the, the sage burning already. Like, I know it's a sacred space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I already and know. Coconut and like, oil. Coconut oil, you know what I'm saying? Shea butter, it like is. all of that. All in of this it. All of it. <laughs> just, I feel excited to be, a, to be a part of it. So really, really appreciate you having me out. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to dive right in under one question. The question is, how do you walk in faith when it's not safe to walk outside? And mm -hmm. this is under the the very tumultuous time that we're in anyway, you know, under quarantine season and what that means for different people, but also in light of the most recent tragic events that are happening on Black and Brown people, um, namely Ahmaud Arbery, who was uh, murdered while jogging in a neighborhood by two white men, and the video surfaced this month in May. However, the crime itself took place in February. We just were talking about that amongst ourselves, Jasmine and I, and we were like, we got to get the male perspective in here. So yeah. everything that we're going to be talking about is kind of under that umbrella. So first and foremost, tell us from a Black man's perspective, what did you feel when you heard this news? Man, um, the feelings are indescribable. And to be honest, this one hit me almost as hard, just as hard, if not worse, than Trayvon Martin. And, you know, during that time, like, that was the first where this really was, uh, it, it hit us as a culture in ways I've never experienced before, and this felt like that all over again. But yeah. it was, it was even more intense. So for me, I felt pain. I felt hopeless, helpless. Mm. I felt scared. It's a lot of fear for me. Uh, overwhelmed. I mean, there were so many different emotions that hit me at one time. And even though I'm a health, mental health professional, I'm still a human being. And Absolutely. for me, that could have been me. And I mean, I say that knowing like any, at any point in time, that could have been me, regardless of my position, title, degree, um, that could have been me. And it hurt. And yeah. one of the first thing I did was I just stopped. I stopped in my tracks. I didn't watch the video because I can't watch the video. Yeah, um, me either. Yeah, I refused to be re-traumatized re by it, so I, I didn't do that, but I just stopped. Uh, everything that I did, I prayed, and I just reflected, and I started crying. And I cried because this, another opportunity for a Black man to be, or to create, is gone. Uh, this yeah. man's life is gone, and I took yeah. it personally. I, I owned all of it, because I felt like I lost myself in, in the midst of this tragedy happening. So after that, <clears throat> luckily, uh, a friend of mine out in Philly, he was hosting a men's group a couple of days afterwards for men to have a safe space to talk. Uh, so the next day, or it might have been that night, uh, he hosted it, and I had other Black men 
within my circle. It was about 30, 30 of us on the call, mm-hmm. but we could just talk. We could just vent. We could just yeah. be vulnerable. Yeah. We can just be men. And that helped a little, it helped a little. So yeah. that, that helped me through that moment, but I'm still affected by it even now because we seeing it every single day. Yeah. And for me personally, like where I live, I'm in New Jersey and I live in one of the whitest neighborhoods ever. And I felt very hypersensitive to walking. So as yeah. you know, mentioned with this pandemic that we have going on, I walk more in my neighborhood now than I ever have since I've been here. And I felt hypersensitive about being black, being a black male, walking. Just, yeah, just walking. walking. Yeah. yeah. And because of this incident, I felt even more afraid. I felt even more insecure about, am I safe enough to walk these streets? You know, yeah. and, and then I began to to have this internal dialogue is of am I wearing something that's non-threatening? Right. Like having to yeah. overthink stuff that should yes. be normal. Yes. Yeah. So before I leave the house, you know, I have to decide, okay, I'm gonna wear a hoodie, do I I'm gonna wear a red one and bright, I'm gonna have a sports team on it, and maybe that makes me less threatening or a college team. And I had thought about that. And I don't think I don't know if anyone outside of being a black male or a black woman or person of color have these thoughts when they go out to do the exercise or just to get out of the house because of this pandemic. But it hit me really hard. And as I was walking, I'm thinking about at any moment, my life can be taken away from me. Just yes. Like what yes. At any moment. At yeah. any moment. Yeah. So, yeah. I walk in my neighborhood on the regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walk my dog and I also walk just for exercise and because I just like walking outside. I remember the first time I walked outside after hearing this news and I actually did watch the video. I have to be very careful with when I watch things or if I watch things, but as a history teacher, I've had to watch things and read things that I just didn't want to. (laughs) So it, um, I'm used to knowing how to gauge my temperament and so I gauged it first and I said okay I think I'm good and so when I watched it it was disturbing to believe that that was in broad daylight number one and then number two that this person looked non-threatening that he's just going on a jog and I remember walking my dog after I saw that video and just thinking how innocent of a moment that is Mm. that every day I take for granted I get to walk in my neighborhood and I couldn't imagine someone rolling behind me taking my life all because of their ideology I I could not imagine that so as a black man that's times 10 Mm -hmm. you know and because I'm a black female and while yes we're of the same ethnicity and African diaspora for black men that intensity I believe is just exponentially more you know because you're automatically seen as a threat even though you are just being you're just walking you're just wearing a shirt (laughs) you're just wearing a hat absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah, it's a it's a real thing and and i would agree with you i would agree with you 100 percent. where i do feel as though it's even harder for black men because this happens so often to black men when we're yeah. in, hearing the news and media, it's very rare, you know, recently there was a black woman who was a victim as well. Yes. Yeah. In most cases, it's black men. And as a black man, I don't care who you are uh, or what you do, for some people, they view us a certain way, no matter what yeah. we do, what we say. 
yeah. and to me it's unfortunate but it's the reality that we live in yeah. uh, right now and and for me yes i may be dr branch but if i'm walking in my ma- my neighborhood i'm a black man absolutely depends on what i'm wearing i could be considered as a threat yeah and for me i don't know what's threatening or what's not threatening based off of what i wear yeah that's what i was going to ask you Mm -hmm. where does the fear come from that's that's exactly where i was going with that like where do you think this fear comes from where it's almost innate or ingrained to me i feel as though the fear starts way back when um from slavery all the way to where we are now from beliefs it's a it's a belief system that some people have about people of color uh there's a belief system that's been taught to a lot of people about black men being angry being violent aggressive bad evil mean and if you look at within the media you see this stigma and belief about black men perpetuated so it's perpetuated in the media this perpetuated in the homes. so for for some mm-hmm. people in their homes the same conversation uh, prevails where you know i don't trust black, black men or black men are bad or you know, mm-hmm. any negative connotation about black men continues to develop a belief that some people have about any black man. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you're still considered that unless I know something different. So typically, unless a person, typically if we're dealing with a white person, unless they know you, then you may be considered as any other black man. Mm-hmm. But if there's an introduction or a connection, oh, I know him, I know her, then that threat has been lowered because of the familiarity. But outside of that, as a black man, you are just a black man to right. a lot of white people. Do you and think there's no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do I'm you sorry. think there's a difference in like skin tone? Like I've noticed as a light skinned black woman, I'm more easily like accepted or more positively perceived mm-hmm. than like my darker skinned sisters. So like I mm-hmm. even notice when I approach white people or I talk to them, I'm the one who's accepted into the fold a little bit quicker. Is that the same for black men or is it just kind of like me and period, you scary? So yes, uh, colorism. Colorism works on both sides, not just within the black community, but for other people viewing uh, people of color where that lighter is better, the lighter is safer. And still that goes back to slavery, you know? Going back to people who were lighter skin had privileges that others didn't, darker skin didn't. And that just carried on for generations after generations. And to me, I feel as though it's still present today, um, which is even more unfortunate because like, I don't get to choose what I look like, my skin tone, I I can't choose. So now, yeah, now I have a target on my back based off of how dark I am. And in addition, this is something else I noticed during my walk, in addition, I wear a lot of dark clothes. Look, me too. <laughs> I the same. They have on black. Do yes. all three of us have on black? Actually, well, well, this is this is not a coincidence. Black. This it's is not a coincidence. Living color. It's just it's what we do. It's, it's our normal everyday routine. It goes but with I never everything. thought about it. Yes. I never thought about it until I was on the walk, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is dark. I'm dark. Wait a minute. Yeah. I'm at a higher risk right now. Yeah, I'm at a higher risk you because get it's too black." Yeah, you just leveled it up right there. I leveled up the blackness. Really <laughs> <laughs> did. Yeah. So, wait a minute. I need to get back to the crib before it gets too dark because I've mm. leveled up too many times as far as this blackness. Yeah. Um, so being a black male, that's a darker skin, having a black or gray, because that's what I wear a lot of times on my walk, that increases things. And then nighttime increases it more. So nighttime. I'm putting myself at more risk. So by the time, you know, I felt like my mom was in the back of my head, boy, you better get home. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt that yeah. on my walk more so now than I ever have before because of this this incident. Yeah, which I I found interesting because it's kind of like that ingrained fear that black men can also develop with police officers. Mm-hmm. It's a dual side going on that while there are some people that are afraid of us, we've also developed this fear <laughs> as well. When you know you had your license, you know yes. you weren't speeding, you know you yeah. got your registration, you know your car tag is up to date. <laughs> you, yes. like Everything, you, legit. <laughs> you know the facts. You're just like, yeah. I know this, but why is my heart going so fast? Yes. And why do I feel like at any moment this can go way wrong? You know, um, Sandra Bland was a soror of mine. Mm-hmm. And I still feel some kind of way about that because there are still no answers as to what transpired from point A to point B, mm-hmm. from this quote unquote traffic stop right. to her not being with us anymore. I always find that interesting that this fear is like this weird, decrepit two way street. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't often wonder how can we get out of that circulation to where we don't, as far as black men is concerned, let's start there. As far as black men not feeling like they have to put aside certain things that should be normal for other people. Like at some point, there is nothing else you can do to not be a threat. You got your education, right. mm-hmm. your your eloquently speaking, you can't scrub yourself lighter. <laughs> Um, which again goes back to colorism because as a child I tried that because I didn't like the darkness of my tone and so I tried to wash myself to be a lighter color as much as I could that was something I had to really work on when I was in middle school like well whoa wait a minute where did that come from where did I get the Mm -hmm. idea that being dark was bad and so I think about as a black male at what point is enough is enough where you can't do anything else to make that other person feel comfortable what line I want to add on that because it makes me think about like when we talk about fear we're afraid of power like when you were saying like yeah. you know we're both afraid of each other we're afraid of the power we're afraid of injustice because we know yeah. even though I have my ID even though I wasn't speeding even though it's broad daylight even so, though someone is currently videotaping this that doesn't mean I'm going to come out of this situation alive right it doesn't mean that somebody's still going to be convicted or justly tried for my a crime if I'm involved in it you know, so I can understand why we scared. I get that. Mm-hmm. But like, dear God, what is terrifying you white, white people about brown skin, yeah. you know, or a large stature like that's That's what's not clicking for me. And it seems to be so frustrating because we out here losing lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Quickly. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I feel like that that fear has been there as part of that ingrained mentality about people that's different from you, uh, especially for some white people. It's like, this person is different. I don't know a lot about this person. And what I do know about this person has been negative. It's been portrayed negatively. So therefore, this idea or stereotype about this person may be a reality to me. Even if it's not, it's a reality to me. And I think the same thing happens for us as black men when we do get pulled over by the police. It's that feeling of, oh my God, my risk has just increased. Am I gonna make it out of this traffic stop alive? Yeah. And, and just like Jasmine mentioned, with the reality of even with the body cams and, you know, all the, the, the protests, all these things going on, a lot of people are not getting convicted for taking the lives of black men. 
So right. therefore, there is no safety net. There is no feeling of, of being safe. Um, so with everything that we can do in our power, there's still a feeling of hopelessness and helplessness because even with what's going on right now within the media with Ahmad's case, there's a lot of slander going on or trying to make him yeah. out to be a bad person. Yeah. So, and it doesn't justify anything, but somehow people find ways to justify murder. And that for us as black men makes this even harder. Where it's like, yeah. how can I survive this if I'm trying to do my best to be protected and, and help myself? And there's still a possibility of me losing my life just by being pulled over. So you mentioned, you know, I'm all legit. I got my insurance, got my ID. That fear is still there because it doesn't matter. Yeah. For a lot of people that have taken the lives of black males, it didn't matter who they were or what they had. Mm -hmm. And who they were or what they had didn't come out until after the fact. Yeah. We didn't know yeah. about these individuals until afterwards. So they didn't know anything about this individual and they took the lives of this individual based off of a, a thought or an assumption or a stereotype. Right. Uh, particularly about black men. And you mentioned <clears throat> with Sandra Bland, I don't know if y'all are familiar, but Malcolm Gladwell uh, wrote a book last year called Talking to Strangers. Mm -hmm. Really great book that talk, that kind of dissects the case of what could have happened, what may have happened. And a lot of it was the, the response from police officers based off of their beliefs and their ideas about people of color especially mm -hmm. black men and black women. And he broke it down in a way that I can't even do, so I won't try to repeat it. <laughs> but it, it helped me get some level of clarity and understanding of why this continues to happen. Yeah. Um, it it yeah. doesn't change the fact that I feel powerless. I, I haven't been able to, to solve it. We haven't been able to solve that, how this happens. But it gave me some peace in understanding why people view us the way that they do. Yeah, because at some point, like I was telling another person of faith and I was letting them know and kind of um, this will segue into a topic later. But I was trying to let them know that at the end of the day, the problem is that the sanctity of life is completely eradicated when we have this happen. And for some reason, that wasn't clicking with them on why black people were so upset. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, OK. There's no way I can put you into my skin because you don't look like me. However, if we just take skin color out of it, let's, let's pretend for kicks and giggles that skin color is not even in it. Why do we not even value a life? I don't care if the person's five years old and they were Greek, you know, if they, you know, if they were Dutch, at what point did we say it doesn't matter that you are a living, breathing human being, I do not care about your life at all. And then on top of that, you're a black person. So I really don't care about your life because it's almost like I'm gonna kill you before you hurt me. I'm gonna lash out at you before you try to come for me. And we ain't even looking your way. And we don't even Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so in our own yards. At our, our own, own self business, keeping these edges straight. <laughs> make sure we build us some wealth for hours yes we really not paying attention <laughs> i think the one of the biggest parts of that to me is privilege and white yeah. privilege especially makes it easy That's to bad. not care makes it easy to not bat an eye or, or turn a shoulder because it doesn't affect me it doesn't apply to me it doesn't affect that, me why should i care that and part. For, for some people for some white people for for them 
that are aware of their privilege as a white person, those are some of the individuals who do speak up or speak out, or you can have dialogue with them where they're receptive to even hearing your perspective. But if I'm not receptive to hearing your perspective, it doesn't matter. So no, I don't value you or a black man or anyone because it doesn't affect me. And I can go home go to my neighborhood, eat my cheese sandwich, stay at the house, do whatever, I do. Right. do whatever right. I do. Right. And, and life goes on. Life goes on. But for yeah, us, a cheese sandwich. <laughs> it's true. But for us, <laughs> oh, we need a break. We need a quick bottle. <laughs> nope, we good. <laughs> okay. So for us, we can't just keep going with our life because we're affected by it directly and indirectly. Yes. We don't have a choice. Right. But some people, they have a choice whether I'm going to entertain this, look at it, post it, share it. They have a choice. Do I bring, draw attention to this or do I keep scrolling and move on to the next thing? And to me, privilege allows people to do that. Yes, mm-hmm. it does. I had a friend of mine who was white. She just kept saying, I'm sorry. You know, and just to hear someone have empathy touched my heart so much. Not that I needed her apology, not that she had to say it, but the fact that she took the time to say, Christina, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry that this is happening. To me, meant the world. There was somebody that could see the injustice of of this issue, that there was somebody that was just paying attention to what I believe is basic common decency. And saying, you know what, I acknowledge that this is wrong. I acknowledge this is happening. Because the worst thing that we can do is create this apathy and just say, oh, it just doesn't exist. And then say, as a person of faith, oh, well, it really doesn't exist because, you know, it's not there. And my dad used to always um, say, he was a pastor, and he would always say, you got to live down here. And that was his way of reminding people that, even though we do have a walk of faith and we do pay attention to the words we say, we do try to love thy neighbor, we do try to do all the things that we are commanded to do underneath our branch of faith, you got to live down here though. You know, you can't, uh, what they call it, you can't be so um, heavenly, uh, so heavenly something to be too earthly good that that adage <laughs> um you can't you can't have your your head up in the rafters so much to where you are not tangible to people and i live by that you know i live by that so it trips me out how you can have white people just in their mind this is not that big of a deal <laughs> they're yeah. like it's not that deep what what are yeah. you upset about exactly well, for the ones that do, or for the ones that are kind of lost in the sauce and think they might be racist, what can they do to help? What does like support look like to this mission or cause in this time? Yeah. How do they like not overdo it? Because I feel like it's a thin line. <laughs> yeah, don't do too supporters. much. Don't do too yeah, much. It's so. a real thin line. You know, okay? so don't do too much. This is a this is an excellent question. And to the white listeners, uh, please take. Take note of everything that's being discussed. Tell because... your friends. <laughs> Seriously. For real, because we're telling you. We're telling yes. you straight up. So, no guessing. <laughs> so we, ha- we have to start with cultural mistrust. So for mm. a lot of Black people, we do not trust white people, period. Ooh. So that's the core. Mm-hmm. 
for, for mm-hmm. some black people, a lot of black people, we just, yeah. we don't, we don't trust white women, white men. Right. Um, so that's something be, because we've dealt with so much. It's just that instant. Okay. What's your angle? Mm-hmm. What are you here for? What do you want? What do you need? Uh, we don't like the white savior mentality. So mm-hmm. where, you know, when, whenever you are aware of your privilege and you want to speak up and speak out, you have to know and acknowledge that that exists. We yeah. can't act like it doesn't. So for some black people, they have no interest or desire for you to say or do anything. Even though we want help, I might not want it from you because of how you look. Mm-hmm. So therefore, as an ally, you have to know that going in. Yeah. Because of so many other white people who are mm-hmm. not aware of their privilege, who Guilty does not care about a person of color or a black man, a black woman, our defenses are already up when you come into the room. It's already up. Yeah. So therefore, if you know that, you got to tread lightly. You want to help and you want to support. Did y'all hear that? (laughs) Make sure y'all had heard that. Yes. You got to tread lightly because there's this hypersensitivity of what are you doing here? Yeah. What are you you trying to do? Because so many others have been in the same circle and we've ended up being abused again. We end up being hurt again. We've ended up being misled and betrayed. So if that continues to happen, we automatically are on guard. So yeah. know that as, as number one. Number two, uh, as CJ Way said so eloquently, acknowledging, mm-hmm. acknowledge mm-hmm. what's going on. Acknowledging it lets us know that number one, you care, you can connect with us in ways that other people don't because for some, they don't even acknowledge. Yeah. Right. So there's no conversation. There's no apologies. Even though you, you maybe apologize for something out of your control, we like we need to hear something. If a lot of times it feels like the majority of the battle is simply trying to convince white people that this issue exists. Yeah. Like yes. we're not really dealing with the issue. We're trying to convince you that we're actually being, you know, decriminalized or like yes. mistreated. It's yes. just like this just circle over yes. and over again something happens and it's like we got to convince white people that this was wrong now let's yeah. put all our effort in maybe something will happen yes usually and, not and in this in this this cycle repeats itself over and over again so if us as black people are dealing with this cycle over and over again that's why that cultural mistrust is still there yeah because you know even if you think about you know friends or people that you're connected to that may not be a person of color or black then it's, it makes it difficult. You didn't say anything. You didn't check yeah. on me. You didn't address it. You didn't share anything. You didn't do anything. You haven't started a petition. You haven't done anything. So it makes me feel, or makes me believe that you don't care. Mm-hmm. Even if you do, it seems as though you don't. Right. And I feel as though for a lot of Black people, that acknowledgement really helps us lower our defenses to have a conversation. Right. Well, our defense is enough to know, hey, you're not like every other person that we've been abused by. I appreciate you standing next to us. Um, and I appreciate you stepping up to the plate. But right. that's a process within itself. Yeah. So to me, what they can do, understanding, you know, acknowledging and, and knowing the cultural mistrust, those are the two things. The third to me is using your privilege to help other people who are underserved, underrepresented, underprivileged. Right, right. And, and I feel as though a lot of privileged people do not use their privilege to help others. They use their privilege to maintain and increase their power. Well, yep. I feel like celebrities are able to do it without any 
disregard, you know, that it's like, it's normal for a celebrity to use his or her status to be able to assist an organization to gain donate donations, yeah. able to uh, be a voice for the voiceless. That's a platform that they're able to use to be able to give some sort of uh, place to corral for other people that need that that type of validation and legitimizing. But what trips me out is, and this is if the celebrity is black, white, Latina, it doesn't matter. If it's a celebrity doing it, okay, cool, fine. But <laughs> from just person to person, mm -hmm. you know, if you are an executive of an organization and you are not a person of color and you identify the injustice of what's happening, I'm not saying everyone is designed to go out in the street and protest because to me that takes a special level of passion to do so and do it effectively. But if you know you are in a place of privilege and you're a place of, through hard work, you know, whatever, not judging where your place is, but if there's a way you can leverage that power to be able to help those that are not in power, then I don't, I'll never understand why that's not an option and why it's looked upon as, well, we can help raise money for the homeless, but we ain't going to touch this issue over here. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't understand that because again, it's still a life loss. This is still your community that has this stain on it that we'll never be able to forget, but can we at least try not to let it happen so often? Yes. Celebrities, like, you have to view their kindness through kind of like a little shady eye sometimes, though, because being celebrity, like, that's work for them. Real talk. So, well, the time, like, not for everybody. I'll, yeah, me, not every time, but sometimes, you know, oh, some yeah. of your support is just for, like, likes and to help, you know, establish their good image yeah. amongst the people. The halo um, effect. Because, <laughs> yeah, because that's why they may not touch the more sensitive topics or open up about politics and stuff, because that's where the real gritty conversation got to get in. And, yeah, I may feel this way personally, but I can't say that and reflect my label or right. I can't say that and afford to damage my brand. So it's like we look to them, to them sometimes like say something because you could help so many people. But at the end of the day, they're trying to eat. <laughs> like Absolutely. they got bills. Absolutely. So you know? perhaps the corporate executives or um, influential decision makers that are in our communities, perhaps they feel the same way. Maybe they feel like they are they can go play golf with this person, but they don't want to damage the the business relationship that is being developed, I'm not sure. But that's something I've always thought about. Like we award celebrities for doing that, but in our communities, it doesn't seem as safe to do. Um, yeah. I, that's, I think that's interesting. Yeah, and I, also with that, I feel as though for some people who has, have the ability to speak up or speak out, they may not know how, they don't know what to say, or it's like, I don't wanna be perceived a certain way, so I'll say nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's several reasons of why people, you know, choose not to do that. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate that this happens over and over again. And then there's others who are able to gain some confidence or uh, some courage that, and don't care the backlash of this is a serious issue and lives are being lost. Regardless of race, as, as you mentioned, lives are being lost. So how can I do something to help? How can I do something to change? And to me, like that, that's a personal journey that a lot of people aren't willing to, to do 
because you have to choose to do that. If you're not a black man or black woman, you choose to do that. For us, it's not a choice where this is how we live. So it affects us. So we don't get to pick and choose. But if you have that level of privilege, you can pick and choose what state, uh, what soapbox you're going to be on mm-hmm. and what you're going to choose not to do. So I feel like, you know, it's unfortunate that, that this happens and it continues to repeat itself. And to me, I feel like there are some allies who are slowly coming out, slowly trying to, to, to get connected and speak out. And then there's others who just, they fade to black and they yeah. wait till this thing is over with. And then they come back and, you know, back to their, their usual routine. And perhaps they're scared too. Like I imagine, I can't imagine to be white, but if I, if I could, you know, do the and um, imagine for just a brief moment, I'd imagine that it can be scary too that you possibly are afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or that it's going to be misunderstood or misconstrued. While that's not an excuse, I can see how one out of however many or whatever, I can see how one person would say, okay, well, how do, how do I do this? You know, what's the path that I can take to make a difference in this area Mm -hmm. and make sure that I am being taken as authentic you know I do care but I don't want someone to accuse me of not being caring and being authentic and just trying to overdo it you know I don't want to be categorized as not being authentic in what I'm trying to support I know one friend of mine she and I we talk about race issues very openly and we've been friends for a long time she said before during these incidences she's like Christina there's just there are some black people that she said, like you, like we can talk, we have dialogue, you listen to me, I listen to you, and we digest what each other is saying. And she said, sometimes though, I have to pick and choose who I try to talk to because they can block me out, assuming that I'm just another white person trying to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm trying to get in good with the black people. And, you know, like she actually had that as a legitimate concern sometimes when she's trying to just be nice, you know, and just be who she is. And she's such a beautiful person. And I told her one day, I said, you know, I'm glad you told me that because I've never thought about it. I would like to think that as human beings, we can just have dialogue. But the truth Mm -hmm. is, there are some small-minded Black people out there, you know, and there are some small-minded brown people. There's some small-minded Indian people. There's small-minded Italian people, you know. So the the bigotry goes in in many different directions. Um, But I've often thought about what she said whenever incidences like this occur, that she bleeds for these incidences, but sometimes having the conversation, she is apprehensive because she doesn't want to be categorized as being this uh, overly zealous white chick that's just kind of like oh 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 my gosh and then get shut down but that's happened to her before too though so she yeah. has a point she has many points of references yeah and, and that it goes back to you know that mistrust so even though she's an ally and want to help want to support based off because even for black people there's stereotypes about white people so yeah. those, those stereotypes yeah. are still there so it's like i don't know your angle i don't know who you are i don't I, you know i don't right. I don't know your track record. I don't know your history. So for us, we're very protective of ourselves. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that she has to deal with that. And to me, there's a lot of white allies who want to help, want to support, who deal with that from us as Black people. 
which mm -hmm. is unfortunate, but there's a reason why this happens. And to yep. me, consistency in your efforts to connect, to reach out, to talk to people within your community, within your circle, to show who you are. And, you know, that may take time. That may take a lot of knocking doors down of, I'm serious. I'm not just about this cause because it's this one thing, but I'm about all. I'm about, you know, Black lives. I'm about everybody. I want to support. I want to help. And I feel as though for some people, some, for some white people, they get tired of getting beat over the head. And because I don't have to do this, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I've tried a few times and I got shut down. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. And to me, I, I highly recommend don't stop because you get shut down. Because for some people, the stereotype and belief is still there. Just like some people have the stereotype and belief about black men. Mm -hmm. So it works on both sides. So right. if I'm really down for the cause, nothing is going to get in, in the way of being able to help and support and not yeah. taking it personal when Black people aren't as inviting or open to just having this person in that space. And, and it's hard not to take it personal, but we have to understand the historical concepts with Black and white people. Yes, and not, not diminish them as if they are feelings. No, feelings and facts are two different things. Factual long. things transpired in America that we cannot erase with some sort of sponge and say, oh, yeah. but look at 2020. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. No, it yeah. actually did happen. <laughs> There's historical data. It happened. <laughs> it happened. And it is perpetuating itself, you know, like a very long cancerous string mm -hmm. throughout centuries now we're in 2020 it's transpiring so i, I want to make sure we definitely punctuate that <laughs> um that feelings and facts are two different things you know my english teacher miss newman god bless her wherever she is last time i heard she was still still alive and kicking and if she is y'all better y'all better do right in her class okay because <laughs> uh, she played no games and she was a, a white woman but she was the one that taught me how to write and um, I will forever be grateful to her because she was the savior of my English papers in high school. <laughs> so one of the things she always told us was everyone's opinion has the same weight, nothing. Mm. She would tell us that every time we wanted to say something, she would shut you all the way down. <laughs> okay, with that bob, that's great. <laughs> she was not playing. I love Miss Newman because she was just straight up. Yeah. She said, if it doesn't have facts, I don't want to hear it. There's no point of you telling me and getting upset. You can have a feeling, but are you having a feeling based upon something you've constructed? Or are you having a feeling based upon this is actually what happened and I don't like it? Mm. That's something totally different. Mm. And I I live by that as a person and even to check myself. I have to check myself sometimes like, wait a minute, where's this coming from? <laughs> yeah. Where's this coming from? Is this real? Hold up. Okay, did she really stare at me long or am I just feeling some kind of way? Maybe okay, did. you know, let me double check myself. Let me make sure uh, she may be looking at my earrings. I don't know. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I have to check myself sometimes. Um, but even in the classroom, I was notorious for that. You have to back it up with facts. Don't give me something that you heard on the front porch with your uncle. No, where's the facts? And then have an opinion about the facts. And I think in a situation like this, where we're trying to be supportive of each other in all of the rainbow that we are, <laughs> um, I think it's imperative that we acknowledge the factual basis that this does occur. It has happened historically, you know, where 
black bodies were on trees and all of this um, institutional racism and um, economic disparities, gerrymandering, and you know all the different things that we know transpire. The main thing is that we have to acknowledge the facts. You know, we can't conjure up facts. We have to look at what actually transpired and say, you know what, that's messed up. I don't. Yeah, that was kind of messed up. Like just say say that mess that that existed <laughs> and that mm -hmm. and that's wrong mm -hmm. and then on top of that it kind of leads me to the the next question that i had um was how can we support each other more specifically how can black women be more supportive of black men you know we know that historically we have been the nurturers of the black community but what do you need from us right now mm -hmm. And then I also want to piggyback another question off of that too. It just made me think like, um, what do we need from our church leaders? Like as we've been talking about different people stepping up and speaking out and showing their support and stuff. If you're a white church leader, what if we could speak to them, what do we want them to know? You know, I'm sure they stand in front of crowds of thousands every week. I'm sure they gotta be a little nervous. They probably try not to stumble over their words as well. Yeah, as yeah, what do we expect from them as a black community as these situations continue to happen as well? Like, should they speak on it every time? Should they say every person's name? You know, um, so one, yes, us as black women, what do we need to do? Um, but also from both of you guys, what do you expect from your leaders? Okay, uh, so for from, from black women, um, an ear, a listening ear, support, acknowledging what's happening, um, and for me, for black women, you know, black man, cousin, brother, boyfriend, whomever, reach out, reach out and connect. How you doing? How you been? Are you okay? Let's talk. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like just speaking from my experience with this incident, um, no one reached out, you know, no black woman reached out to check on me because I wasn't doing okay. Mm -hmm. And a part of that reason not to reach out is because for a lot of black women, it's like, for black men, we've been so strong and just holding it down for so long. It's like, oh, he's fine. He's okay. I wasn't okay. Yeah. But my entire family, friends, everybody knows, oh, Jason's strong. He good. He a therapist. He be all right. So it's like, that's, a, yeah. that's an automatic yeah. thing. But to be honest, a lot of men, we're not going to say we're hurting. We're not going to say we're in pain. We're not going to say we're upset. We're not going to say those things. We're going to act them out. And us mm -hmm. acting them out is us, you know, trying to find, trying to cope with what happened. So yeah. just being a listening ear, reaching out, asking, are they okay? Giving a, a, a ear, spending time, just being around and acknowledging this stuff is happening and we're all affected by it. I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to just be next to be next to you, rub your forehead. Just yeah. <laughs> up here, right, lean yeah. on your shoulder, just be there. Just be there, yeah. Yeah, to give that, that brother space to be vulnerable to be hurt, to be emotional. Now, we're not, we're not gonna do this publicly as me, black men, but right. behind closed doors, yeah, we're gonna do it. We want that. And I don't know any black man that would say they wouldn't in, in, in there being honest. So mm -hmm. that's what I would suggest as far as for black women. As far as leaders, especially you know, white leaders in, in these churches, again, acknowledging to be mindful that this happened and we can't act like it didn't. So talking about it in church, bringing scripture into it, Mm -hmm. providing some protection, providing some resources, providing support, a support group. And, and, and you know, it's, it's finding, to me, it's, it's being 
who you are and taking advantage of what you have. Mm -hmm. Meaning everybody, similar to what you said earlier, everybody doesn't have the desire to go out and protest. Everybody doesn't have the desire to go out and, and do national platforms. But there's something in you that you can do. If mm -hmm. it's talking to local state government, if it's going to the police department, getting badge numbers, if it's writing a blog, if it's starting a group, there's something that you can do. And to me, especially within churches, there's yeah. so many opportunities to do something. And I think what happens oftentimes is we're, we're trying our best to solve the issue, which is a big issue, that the small things are, are avoided. They're not even done. Mm -hmm. It's feeling that even if I started a group, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to mm -hmm. change anything. But to me, any decision or behavior towards this is something. And yeah. I think with a lot of churches, it's doing something. You have a congregation, you have leadership, do something, say something. Yeah. And, and to me, it doesn't take much. Just like you mentioned earlier, when, you know, your friend, when she just acknowledged and apologized, it gave you a little bit of, man, somebody cares. Yeah. Somebody cares. Mm -hmm. So within the churches, I think the same thing could happen. Say something because that lets us know, especially black people in the congregation, somebody cares. This That's person right. acknowledged it. Even if they don't do nothing else the rest of the sermon, they at least <laughs> acknowledged it. Right. They acknowledged right. it. You know what? You do with me. I see, I see you. you. I see you. Go back I'm to your mansion, eat your cheese sandwich, but <laughs> I see you. Thank you. Somebody <laughs> tell me what is a cheese sandwich? That's real. That's real talk. <laughs> we, need, we need cheese sandwiches, people. That's what we're trying to tell you. Oh, we need real cheese sandwiches with their butter crust. <laughs> just, okay. on there. It's just okay. cheese sandwich. That's it. All right. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Very, please know this is very stereotypical. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have stereotypes too. Like I'm fully aware. I have biases. Just like yeah. that. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. The the I see you uh, uh, effect is to me can create a ripple effect. Well, the friend I was telling you about earlier, she makes sure that she has conversations with her children and that she's very honest with them and open with them about various racial and cultural issues, you know, that come up because and I'm, I know, and I love that. Uh, that's one of my favorite attributes about her because she doesn't shy away from it, even though it's hard. She's like, look, this is what's happening yeah. and you are living in this world. And she takes the approach of, you may hear it at school and I don't want you to hear something that's not true. You know, I'm going to tell you exactly what's transpiring <laughs> with this. Because we know kids talk. We used to talk, we were in school, you know, when so stuff much. happened and uh, it's like the telephone game on steroids you're like well wait a minute what where is the truth what what really happened so I love the fact that she takes that approach with her children I feel like it equips them it puts on an, an armor of truth so that way they're not just out here in these streets as a white person and they don't know what's going on now whether they decide to feel a different kind of way about people of color that's then a choice I mean we're not going to eradicate racism today like it's been going on forever. <laughs> but in terms of the impact, I appreciate the fact that that's another group of individuals that don't think that way. That's another group of children that will say, oh, well, what you said isn't true because my mom told me that's not da 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 da, da. You know, like they have a point of reference <laughs> mm -hmm. to go back to. So I want to quickly shout out 
the people that are, uh, and not just white people, I know that there are other ethnicities that are also trying to navigate through this situation and trying to yeah. figure out a way to empathize with us too. So shout out to all the ethnicities trying to trying to be a community. We appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but shout out to those that are having those hard conversations, that are having those difficult conversations with your families, with your friends, with your children. I couldn't and imagine I think, having to tell my, say what now? I think extra shout out to the white people though, because they're the ones in power and it can be kind of hardest for them. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, when you're the white person in your boardroom and you know all your racist friends sitting around making decisions, it can be a little scarier to be the one saying, I vote not. Um, yeah. You know, when you feel like you can get kicked out of a club. I think it was something very good you said about your friend that she was educating her children about these things, even though it's hard. But mm-hmm. I think that hardness, that challenge of it is what steers a lot of people away. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, snap, I want to be a good person, but, ooh, this conversation's awkward, or I don't want to lose this group of friends. But just right. know that that may be your sacrificial challenge, you know, that may be how you show that you are on our side. It's how you be an ally and an advocate, because we over here scared, as we saying on this show, just to walk outside. Yeah. We're over here scared to wear hoodies, scared to go down the and street. And angry. So your contribution <laughs> to the fight is pushing through that awkwardness and having that conversation, or educating your children, or speaking up in your predominantly white, powerful rooms because we need you. Mm-hmm. Or it's yeah. just basic human decency. Yeah. I agree, 100%. Yeah, that, that led me to, to something else I thought about. We got to have those conversations, period. Regardless of your skin color, your socioeconomic status, regardless of your family dynamic, we've got to start having those conversations. You got to start having those conversations with your kids. Like, let's pretend like you're a black male. You have to now tell your black son about this situation. We got to start having all difficult conversations at this point. You know, we can't shy away from it at all because there are lives being lost because of just not being, not being equipped, mm-hmm. you know, not being equipped on how to handle when you get pulled over and not being equipped when someone that is of uh, Latin American descent and they say something that's a racial slur you know, to you. Like, I think we're shying away from the conversations um, that we need to have in order to survive and in order to be a community. So I agree with you completely, Jasmine. I, I do, you know, definitely shout out to to everybody, but a special shout out to those white families and white people that are saying, look, this is not okay. And we're talking about it not being okay. I tell people all the time, Jews flip tables. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Let's not let's not pretend that it sounds like a threat. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying what my genes do. My genes sounds just, like the perfect type of gentle threat that would come from you. It's just so perfect. <laughs> like compassionate flip, fear. My genes flipped tables. He did not like what was going on in the marketplace. He did not like that there were individuals being ripped off in a place that they were supposed to feel safe. And they were supposed to be able to be there to have integrity and ethics. And he went in there and he flipped them tables over. He said, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you know, so I always, I, I, I use that as a, as a joke all the time to remind people that we're talking about different things in the faith arena. We're using, using our faith lens to look through the world. You know, Jesus is described as a lion and a lamb. He described as, as both. And God is also a God of righteousness, just like he's a God of peace. You know, that's where we get it from. We get that that innate nature of this isn't right, mm-hmm. right? We were like, even with kids, kids would be like, that's not right. That's mine. You know, we, we have that, 
that fear that not fear we have that feeling of this isn't right I don't like it fix it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and we are designed like that by an incredible God and so don't use your faith to hide behind uh, this issue either that's not where this falls under if anything Jesus was moved by compassion I was talking about this with my mom there are so many points in the word where he was moved by compassion to do something he was moved by compassion because these people were hungry. He was moved by compassion because this person was grieving over a loved one. He was moved by compassion because this person is being distraught um, over demons. Like he was moved by compassion and that compassion led him to action. And then there were some times where he was like, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to move on. I got things to do, <laughs> you know? So we have to be careful not to hide behind our faith as if that's the right approach either. We have to really be sensitive that as my dad would say we live here we live here so we got to pay attention to that and i do pray that more black women become supportive of black men um especially because we need that too so i appreciate you bringing that out jason that we got to give men a chance to have a space to be human and i got a follow-up question to that though so thinking about thinking about my dad if i ask him like how you doing how you feeling or whatever it's usually just like fine yeah good (laughs) okay (laughs) so like what do what do we do beyond that like if we're like hey you know what's up we're met met with like that coldness or one answer what if they don't really know how to emote great thought um to me the the first response is usually the easiest response for for a lot of men Mm. and to me for women, I, especially for black women, when it comes to men, I feel as though you all have a way that you can get away with any and everything with black men. You can. Oh, and in order to true. do that, it's, it's a process that you have to dig deeper than what's on the surface. So the surface response that most men give is that instant, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm cool, whatever. So you may have to follow up a few more times in different ways to try to get beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you have to think about your position for you talking to your dad, he still views you as his little girl. So therefore we ain't got nothing to talk about. <laughs> you my, <laughs> right, you right. my baby, you my baby girl. You can't fix yeah, this. No, you can't I gonna call him. Yeah. So yeah. you, you may, the way he responds. That's the shield. Yeah, it is. That's, that's my baby. But, but there may be other black women in his life who can penetrate such as aunties, such as mom and them, such as grandma, you know, being able to connect with other people to hit from different angles of these are black women who care and concerned about you. What's really going on? You say you okay, but you, you know, you're doing this wine thing to a whole nother level, daddy. Like what's, what's right. really going on? Right. So it's, it's having a space to have these really tough conversations and it's navigating those spaces where you know the person that you're talking to, you know how much you can push. And mm-hmm. to me, it's pushing to have honest dialogue about something that's, that's hurting you uh, and hurting that person. So you can put ownership on you. Like, this is what I'm feeling. What are you feeling? This is what I'm noticing with black men. I'm talking to my, my black friend, my black male friends, and they struggling. So I'm sure you may be struggling too. So it's just, it's, it's breaching that conversation and not being, not taking no for an answer, not taking the first response as an answer, because the first response again is the easiest response. And as men, we're not, we don't want to talk about feelings and emotions first. Now you get to talking, we start moving in conversation, we'll go there. But it depends on the emotional intelligence of that man. 
So you have to be mindful of who you may be connecting with. For me, I am as emotional as it, as it gets, but it's controlled, it's regulated. So as you notice, when we first started, we went straight into emotions because I'm connected to mine. But I did a lot of work to get here. And a lot of men haven't done the work to, to get there. So sometimes you got to peel back a few layers to get them to even open up and be vulnerable about it. Uh, and that's a process that takes time. It takes patience. So this may not happen with that first conversation. You may have to come back a few more times. Hey, I brought this up, you know, last week. I brought this up the other day. And eventually you're going to get on his nerves en enough where he's going to say, <laughs> you know what, let's go ahead and talk about this. This is what's really going on. Yeah. Um, but there's going to be a reaction or response because it's a real situation that's going on. And I, I just don't see how any black man cannot be affected by this in any shape, form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So to yeah. wrap up, oh my gosh, like we could go on because this is so amazing. Just dropping all these gems. Jason, what is one thing that you would just like to tell all black men listening right now? Anything that you just want to let them know? Black men, we could use some help. We could use some support. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be angry, upset. Um, it's okay to not understand. And to me, it's important that we can't do this alone. We need help from other people to be able to express ourselves, to be able to just vent, to process and connect with other people who may be dealing with some of the same things that we're dealing with. So as a black man and as a black male therapist, I provide help, I provide assistance. And if it's not me, there's other people that provide help and assistance. And sometimes we need a safe space to go to just be us, be vulnerable, not have to worry about what people think, what people say, what people do. And to me, counseling is one of those safe spaces that you can have. And if it's not counseling, create a tribe, create a tribe of, of other black men or other men that you trust where you can be vulnerable, you can be honest. So for me, outside of just having a therapist, I have a tribe. I have uh, eight black men. We, we're in a group together. We've been friends since college. So when this happened, we reached out to each other. We text each other almost every other day through, through GroupMe. And that was a safe space where I could just be, where we could vent, we could talk, uh, we could be honest. And that helped me. And then reaching out to outside groups to be able to connect with other people who look like you, who feel the same way that you feel. Understand that these feelings, these thoughts, and these emotions are real. And we have to be able to manage them by connecting with other people. We cannot do this alone. So black men, I'm here with you. Stand up, step up. Let's take care of us so we can take care of everybody else. How can they contact you? You can reach out to me on uh, Instagram, IG, at jbranch06. Psychology Today under Jason Branch. Facebook under Jason Branch. I, I am still accepting new clients and I work through telemental health. So if you like FaceTime, this keeps us safe as far as quarantine. Uh, we <laughs> still work together and I'm licensed in four states, Alabama, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. So if you're in any of those states, reach out, let's connect. And even if you feel some kind of way about counseling, you can connect with me without trying to set, schedule an appointment. Call me, let's talk so I can educate you about what counseling is and what counseling isn't because a lot of times you know especially for and i noticed this no shade to the to the queendom but for some black women who want their black male to get help it's this immediate you need to get your life together you need to go to counsel or i'm out or i'm leaving you or i'm doing this and that right and right. it's more threatening than supportive so mm -hmm. to me 
I can serve as one person of support to have honest dialogue about what counseling is. Yeah. Um, I am rare, a black male therapist. I am very rare and I'm fully aware of that. And for me, I feel as though I have a huge responsibility and that's to take care of us and that's black men. So that's what I research, that's what I study, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm a part of the culture too and we need help. So reach out any way that I can help, please feel free to reach out. Or Google me, Jason Branch. You can he find is me. totally Googleable. I'm Googleable. I might be on page three, but I'm Googleable. <laughs> he I'm even Googleable. verified on Psychology Today, though. He verified. I am verified. I'm hey. legit. I'm legit. So legit now. <laughs> Thank you so much for Absolutely. being here. We really appreciate you. Thank you yes, for providing what we need at such a needed time not just your sentiments on this matter but also the service that you're giving the community through mm -hmm. counseling um, we desperately need that so i just want to just make sure that we acknowledge both sides of the service that you're giving here yeah. <laughs> yes serving the kingdom and you also serving the public you serving the people what we need so thank you so much appreciate it good to Absolutely. have you here Absolutely. Also, for the queendom, this, I'm, I'm not, I don't want you to think I just work with black men. I work with all people. <laughs> yeah, I, work with yeah. all. I work with black women. I work with all people, but I love black men. I'm, I'm, I'm tied to black men, but I don't want you to right. feel, oh, he only worked with black men. I can't work with him. Yes, I work with anyone. Um, yeah. And let's not allow finances to be an issue. If you need a discounted rate, I don't mind doing a discounted rate. I do this because I love it. Right. I'm not here for the mm -hmm. money. I'm here because God gave me a gift, a talent, and an ability, and I'm going to use it until I don't have nothing left. And when I when I'm when I leave here, I want to be replenished in heaven because I'm giving it away. Real it's talk. Yours. Whoever wants it, y'all can have it. Come get it. Real talk. I know you're on my list. I um, <laughs> when I have a list of therapists that I know personally they're my friends and they're in the therapist field and you are on that list my friend so I when, I, when, I, when I get people that list i'll be when i say hey i, I think i might need to talk somebody bet hold on let me get this list for you God. you are on that list God, i appreciate <laughs> it it means a lot to me it means so much to me uh, because we do need that resource that connection and mm -hmm. for a lot of people black people like we want to work with someone who looks like us or who can identify yeah. with us not that any other clinician can't do the work but that familiarity kind of helps people connect even more mm -hmm. um, especially if this is their first time in therapy so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad to be an advocate i'm glad to support us and um, please men women whomever i provide services for all mm -hmm. thank you so much you're Absolutely. a blessing to the world <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now that we've made it to the end of our show, we just want to take the time to thank each and every one of our listeners. We are so very grateful for you guys for following along with us through this idea, through this vision. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for following us on social media. If you haven't, go ahead and do that. And just all the support you've given us. Um, it's been kind of intimidating starting out a new project, figuring things out in the midst of a pandemic. But we've hung in there. You've been with us. And we just appreciate you. Yes. And we also want to appreciate our special guests, Jenny, Herb, and Jason, for just shining their wisdom on our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You are always welcome in the queendom. Always welcome. Yes. And Curly Contessa, who came through and gave us life with a sponsorship yes. this year. Thank you so much for believing in us. 
Thank you for investing in us. Yeah. I encourage all of you guys to head over to curlycontessa.com. If you haven't been there recently, you should really check them out. There is a new line of mugs that's created in my favorite shade of blue. And it says all the feels on it. And that's just representative of how during our current times in the COVID-19 pandemic, sometimes there's good days, sometimes there's bad days, but you're going to feel them all. Um, and just to let you know that you're supported, just to let you know that you're loved, Curly Contessa has designed this new mug and all proceeds from the All the Feels will go to support No More Martyrs. So shop curlycontessa.com today. Oh, that's fantastic. So as you know, these two introverts had a lot to say, but we are still introverts. Mm-hmm, wow. <laughs> so these two introverts now need to power down, hunty. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to power down because that's Going how you <laughs> So we are going to power down and get ready for our next season, which will be in July. We can't wait to be with you, but we also can't wait retreat back to our (laughs) (laughs) retreat. We gotta rest. We gotta retreat back into our corners so we can Mm -hmm. we can power back up. So thank you all so much again for joining us. We look forward to seeing y'all again. Y'all stay in the house, stay safe. Yes, and stay well. And shout out to everybody who is out there working and keeping us together. And shout out to everybody that's working on themselves. Mm-hmm. Keeping yourself together. Oof, God, that's <laughs> a lot of work. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Season one is a wrap. Oh my hey, gosh. <laughs> Cue the Hammond organ and the it shout music. <laughs> it is done. We made it. We made it, girl. <laughs> We've made it through all of the COVID nineteen foolishness. Okay, we did the thing and launched a podcast in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Can't mm-hmm. tell me God ain't good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Faith ain't Yeah, real talk. Real talk. We did that. I'm so grateful. With that said, we have a quick word of prayer just to cover our listeners and. Yeah. Uh, just let them know that we're thinking about them and yeah that's what we're gonna do okay that's what's up so let's pray let's pray father god in the name of jesus thank you lord so so much for keeping us throughout this season lord we appreciate you in all of your glory everything that we have done has been only because you have given us opportunity to do so you told us what to do we took directions And Lord, I'm so grateful that you helped us to facilitate it. Thank you, Lord God, for our special guests that came in. They were so willing to bring their wisdom. Thank you, Lord God, for our sponsor. We appreciate Kristen Farmer and Curly Contessa, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing her to sew into us so that way other people can also sew into her. Lord, we appreciate everything that you have done throughout this show. We do not take it lightly that you have given us a platform to be your representatives. So Lord God, bless our listeners, wherever they may be, whether they are working or whether they are not working, we appreciate you for allowing them to be in our kingdom, that we're family, that we're connected. So we ask you to keep them safe, Lord God, hold them close, give them strength and continue to show yourself strong on their behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
And don't forget, if there's a question you need a little bit of advice on mm-hmm. or a situation that's kind of got you confused, email us at yes. queensbelightpodcast at gmail.com so we can give you a little insight. And you can also check us out on social media at queensbelightpc. And if you can't remember that, just Google Queens Be Like Podcast and you will find us. We'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's show, guys. Yes. Um, and remember, chins lifted. Crowns up. Bye, Bye friends. friends.